they're going from glory to glory, amen? Are you going on that trip, on the glory ship? How many are taking a trip on the glory ship? You doing that? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 20. Good to see our visitors here. We're going through the book of Matthew verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Started in 2019, now we're on chapter 20. Those of you who have been reading ahead, which is great to do to read ahead, you can catch right now where we're at. We're about ready to enter Jerusalem. Jesus is about ready to go to Jerusalem on a donkey, and then what happens, y'all? He gets crucified. That's kind of like the end of the story in one sense, but then we know the resurrection. But we're getting to the end, okay? So he gets crucified in Jerusalem. Now until then, literally now, everything is about preparing you to work in the harvest and to understand the end times. That's all it is. If you've skipped ahead, today we're going to learn about working in the harvest. Then he's going to predict his death in, in chapter 20, verse 17. And then uh, John and James are going to ask in the kingdom what, where they can sit. And then, you know, a healing's going to happen. And then he's going to enter Jerusalem in chapter 21. And then he's going to start talking about working in the harvest again. And then he's going to talk about the end times again. And then he's going to give more illustrations about you working in the harvest again. Are you guys getting it? And then he's going to get crucified, and then he's going to be buried and raised again from the dead, and he's going to tell you and I to go work in the harvest and prepare for the end times. Well, 2,000 years since he said that, you think we should be working in the harvest, being prepared for the end times? All right, let's go to chapter 20, verse 1. Today we're going to talk about the last being first and the first being last. I'm going to read the whole thing. You guys can follow along up there, and then we'll talk about it. Jesus talking here, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, and about three in the afternoon did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call all the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired going on to the first. Some may say last ones. Going to the first. Thank you. Underline that, highlight that. You'll get the story if you understand that. Verse 9, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner those, uh, these who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and worked the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Let's read verse 16 together. One, two, three. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now you got the parable of Jesus. Let's scroll to the top, please. Very simple. There is a man. He owns a vineyard. 
He wants some day laborers. He goes out six in the morning and asks people to work for him. He says, will you work for me if I give you a denarius? It's about a day's wage. Let's say in our day and age, it's somewhere between $50 to $100. So he says, will you work for me? At six in the morning, the whole day, and I'll give you a day's wage. They go, sure, I'll work for you. That's a good deal. Then he goes out at nine, does it again for a day's wage. He goes out every three hours then, 12 o'clock, for a day's wage, three o'clock, for a day's wage. And right before six o'clock at five, he says, will you work one hour for a day's wage? All of them get a day's wage. Then at the time of payment, he asks a foreman, someone to divvy out the payment. And he says, I'm going to start with the one who was paid, uh, who started working at five. I'm going to pay the last first. And so the guys who had been there from six in the morning till six in the evening, who had agreed to the denarius, the day's wage, thought that now everybody's getting a day's wage. We are probably going to get more. At that point, they realize that they're not getting more. They're going to get exactly what was promised them. And now they grumble. And maybe you can relate to this. You would feel like it's unfair. You've bore the work all day. You worked in the heat of the day. These people only worked an hour. That's unfair. And then they bring that up to the foreman. And here's what the foreman says. Here's what the owner says, rather, as they bring it up to the foreman. Scroll down to the end, please. He says, why are you upset? I have not broken my word. I agreed to pay you $100. You get $100. What are you upset about? And then they said, well, we should get more now because they work less. And he says, you don't understand my generosity. I can do with my money whatever I want to do. And what that parable was meant for the disciples at that time to understand is, is that they are first, and they are going to pay a price for being first that no one else had to pay. They're going to be crucified. They're going to be burned alive. And then generations after them, probably in this historical context, for the next 300 years, are going to suffer persecution, that first couple of generations. And Jesus is saying, but others will come after you like kind of a lazy Americans who will have freedom of speech and freedom of the Bible and will do nothing but show up at the last hour in the year 2019. But guess what? I'm going to give them heaven too, just like I'm giving you heaven. So guys, deal with it. You don't get to decide how I give out heaven. This is not the rewards that we will get in heaven. There's another parable coming dealing with that. There will be parables we will learn about how each one of us will be rewarded in heaven for what we've done on earth. But what we're learning here is about heaven. Everyone gets the same heaven. Now, how many of you aren't a lazy American, but you really do love Jesus and you've put your faith in him and you're excited about heaven? Okay, so you are excited about heaven, but here's the deal. You've got to put in your work now too. So if we look at church history over 2,000 years, we're kind of coming in at the last hour, aren't we? They've done all the work before us. Did you write the Bible? No, the apostles did that. Did you translate it? No, the apostles of the apostles did that. Did you hand it down? No, it's already been handed down. Did you gather it together? No. Did you fight against the Roman Catholic Church so you could have it in your language? No. Were you the first ones to be sent out as missionaries to your country? No. Have you 
paid the price to be able to stand up for it? Maybe. But you haven't been the one that's laid the groundwork. You are literally standing on the shoulders of giants. So am I. And so I'm coming in at the last hour. The last hour is here, if not the last moments. If the last day started when Peter was preaching at Pentecost 2,000 years ago, and he said, as Joel said, these are the last days, and he said, here they are, they've started. If the last day started then, then where are we now 2,000 years later? At the last moments. We're definitely in the last hour. Does everybody get the parable? Everybody get it? The last will be first. And so what that teaches us is when we go to judgment day, our generation or the one that was there when Christ came back will be first judged all the way back to those first disciples. And I hope and I can guarantee probably that none of those disciples will be like that greedy person there and go, you know, why do they get heaven? They didn't do what we did. No, they'll be rejoicing with us in every generation. Now, I could have just moved on to another portion of chapter 20 and been well here because you guys understand this and went on to other sections, but I want to stay here now and apply it to our church locally. I want to apply this to our church locally because I believe God has hired us to do a work here. So let's go back up to the beginning and to the notes. When we think about us being hired by the Lord, we can think of what we see here in day labor in our city. And oftentimes, people who don't have the right kind of paperwork to do day labor kind of chill around certain spots hoping to get hired. And I kind of have a funny story about this as being a gringo. So I was doing some work here in the church, building a cafe, and I ran out of the ability to do it. I didn't have any more skill. I didn't know how to do it. So I said, you know what? Let me go to the Home Depot where the hente are at, and let me see if I can get one of these guys to come into the church and help us. How many have ever seen some of those guys hang around a Home Depot? This was Armitage and Cicero. So I go over there, and I'm like, hey, man, what's up? You want to do? And they looked at a gringo, and they're like, sure, man, you got the dinero. We'll build anything you want. So, they, so I picked out one. He got into the car. I'm thinking this is going to be a great day. Bring him to the church, and I pay him first. Biggest mistake of the day. I then pay him first, and he then says to me, oh, I need the tools that I have at my house. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll take you there. So I took him to a house and waited for about a half hour for him to come out, and he didn't. There went our money. Everybody go, oh, Dito. So the gringo learned that day a tough lesson. Now, am I going to be racialist and say everybody hanging out at the Home Depot is going to rip off a pastor? No, but that guy did that day. So I can relate to this, and maybe you can too. Maybe you work at a temp agency. Maybe you've been hired for day labor. You can relate to being hired to do something if you have a job. I can relate to this because I used to work at a day labor office. And you would have to go in, say, I'm willing to work, put in the grind. And whatever you would agree to, that would be it. That's your pay. So if it's minimum wage, that's it. If your friend got $10 an hour and you got $9 an hour, that's not your decision. Your decision is whether or not you're going to put in the work. And so now I want to tell you about my wife and I starting this church many years ago in our house. You see, we agreed at that point to put in the work. The Lord never promised us it would be easy. He never promised us that everybody would always love us, but he did promise us that the harvest would be great. 
That's what he said. And he told us to start building the church with disciples. Now, if you want to know my story, my story is I got saved at 18. My, my mother's kitchen table led to the Lord after drugs and alcohol. And then I went to Bible college nine months later in New Orleans, started a church at the age of 22 with my associate degree there, and started working in the projects with low-income African-American folks. And while I was there, I became just like the people I ministered to. You wouldn't have noticed a difference between me and those from the Jecks. Believe it or not, I enjoyed it. I loved it. I also felt sometimes like the white Robin Hood. I would go to the rich white churches of the suburbs and bring it all into the inner city. But at one point, after about four years of doing that, having about 25 adults, maybe about that many children, I began to realize that we weren't making disciples. A lot of people were coming for handouts, but not hand-ups. I even got my CDL driver's license so that I could pick up people for church. Most people needed rides to church. I drove the church bus. I then sadly closed that church because I didn't feel like I was adequate to take them where they needed to be. No moral failure. But I closed it for multiple reasons. But that was really the biggest. I didn't know how to make the people I was ministering to disciples. So I came here to Chicago to work as a youth pastor. And over a little bit of time as doing that successfully, I felt that the Lord was calling me to start a church. And so here in the city, my wife and I started a church with no one just started with the souls that we began to win from video games. Believe it or not, people would come to my house to play video games. Some people didn't know Jesus. They accepted Christ, and that's where the Bible study started. But I want, you to, tell, I want to tell you this. I had a choice. I could have built a church at that moment on my preaching gift and not cared about anybody's spiritual growth. You see, at that time, a lot of my friends figured out if you can speak good, if you can motivate people, you can grow a church really fast. But I said, I don't want to do that to the people. I don't want to be just another speaker. I want to be like Jesus and make disciples. And so it began to start off slow with those people. And finally, this one young lady said, I want to be a disciple. You see, at this time, I started going back to get my bachelor's. Eventually, I got my master's. And now I'm almost done with my doctorate doing the dissertation phase now. And Lord willing, by May, you can call me Dr. Joe. And uh, I'll feel weird about that. But you'll rightfully be able to do that. Uh, one guy said from P, uh, you know, LSD to PhD. Uh, so there's a little bit of truth in there for that. But, but here's the deal. I, I started writing this materials because the materials I borrowed from other churches wouldn't let me give them away. They were copywritten. That's why I give away my stuff always to the world, and they can use a lot of places, Nigeria, Pakistan, India, Nepal, Philippines, use our materials. But this one young lady, she wanted to be a disciple. You see, we weren't just going to go for members. We were going to go for disciples. And she said, I want to be one. So I said, okay, just do what we do. Follow us as we follow Jesus. She said, but I can't come here until a certain amount of time. I said, that's okay. And she said, well, because that's why I'm working and all that. And I said, that's okay. But here's the deal. Until you can come at the time we start and stay to the time we leave, you can't be a leader. This was a talk we were having before the Sunday morning service. Uh, it was actually in the evening at that time. You know what she did? She walked out. I thought maybe she just got a little bit mad. She's going to come back later. I didn't see her for a year 
The first convert we had in our church walked out on us, and I didn't see for over a year because I wouldn't compromise on what it would be to, to take to be a disciple. I would have people come to me from other churches, some of them with a lot of money. One man gave me his minivan, uh, paid for us to build that storage center back there, you know, storage space. And he said to me, he said, listen, I will do this as long as I can. Just don't ask me to go through the Bible studies. I've already done all of that. That's not for me. And I looked our biggest giver in the eye, and I said, brother, it's been a while, and I see you're not wanting to do it. I think it's better for you to find another church. Wow, pastor, you didn't have a big church, and you're asking people to leave? Yeah, because if you didn't want to be a disciple, you weren't doing what we were doing. You see, there's a lot of churches you can go and do other things. As a matter of fact, if you're new here and you hear what we're doing, you will say this is a very unique church. And every pastor thinks that, of course, but I really mean that. You will easily be able to find churches doing not what we're doing. We're one of the only churches that I know that require the best of singers, the best of musicians, the most talented of people oftentimes to wait two or three years before they ever come up here. Some of our greatest singers are still sitting down because they are not ready to be up here. Even though our 7-Step 101 book and our 12-Step 201 book can be done technically in eight months, sometimes it takes people three years to graduate. It took me a, about two years to graduate our first 101-er, two years before finally someone did a seven-week lesson together. My wife would do the women, I would do the men. And then it took us almost two and a half, three years to get people to graduate the 201 so I could say, here is our first leader. You see, I could have compromised at any time and said, let's do it like the way everybody else does it. I'm a pretty good speaker. I'll keep preaching. You keep coming. I'll use you to get your help, and you'll use me to make yourself feel better. Isn't that a lot of what church looks like on Sundays? I'll make you feel better about what I'll say up here, and you make me look better by you being that usher and you doing that children's work and you playing that instrument. And I don't care if you're having a pornography addiction. I don't care how your marriage is. I don't care what's going on in your personal life. As long as you, when you come in here, you play the show right, I'll be okay. It's a lot of my friends' churches, let's be honest. Discipleship takes time. Jesus was with his guys for three years, and one of them denied him at the point of the cross. I've worked with people for years, and they not get it. But finally, like I said, we graduated people from the 201. Guess what? I believe we graduated three. Two out of the three ended up confessing hidden sin, pornography, dating a non-Christian, and had to step in and go through it, step down and do it over again. Years, years, and now you have come. And I want to be honest with you, it feels like it's five in the evening. <laughs> I'm being honest with you. feels like I've been working all day. And it feels at times that you don't appreciate what's been done. Do you know where those chairs came from? Most of you don't. It came when we were sharing this building with a Latino church, and the Latino church left us all of a sudden and took their chairs with them. And I had to say to a congregation of mostly young adults, we need to buy 100 chairs that cost $44.75. We need $4,475. Were you there when we raised those offerings in 30 days? To put chairs here? No, you weren't. But here's the good news. I'm not bitter. <laughs> you might think I'm bitter. I might have to fight the temptation to be bitter. But I'm not bitter. I'm better. Because you know what I think about? I think about this parable. 
God never promised me at 6 a.m. that it would be easy for me. Here's the way I look at it. John Wimber said, God owns us, and he can spend us on bubble gum if he wants. So it's a privilege to do anything with him. How dare I now in the heat of the day get up after working the heat of the day, look at you who just showed up and say, look at them. Why do they get to go to the same children's ministry that my children get to go to, and yet they didn't have to go through all the work of building that children's ministry? Why do they get to go to the youth ministry that now we have with our fifth youth director after we've gone through the work of losing four youth directors? Youth directors are hard to work with. (laughs) You think teenagers are hard? Those who pastor teenagers are even harder because they look at youth ministry like it's a time to date, to find their friend, even though they're married. They look at it as a time to be cool and all of those things. I'm the first one to call the police on them. You're going to jail. Are you listening? All of this hard work that we've done, my wife and I could step back and go, look at us. You don't deserve this. But you know what? We didn't deserve this. Who gave us the strength? Who gave my wife and I the strength when this was a dollar store to get on our hands and knees with a razor and get up the gum from every one of the tiles so that the tiles would look clean? Who gave us the strength to do that? Jesus. You see, Jesus was good that day. I didn't know any better. I appreciated all that we had to do. It was better than sitting around doing nothing. During my time of youth pastoring to starting this church, I went to one of my friends who was a pastor, and I said, can we do ministry together? He said, we really don't do much except feed the homeless once a month. I said, I'll be there, but I need something to do the rest of the 30 days. He said, I don't have anything to do. I said, how about this? Can I come and clean your church? Do you know that there's a church in here in this city that I used to clean and you didn't know about? just so I had something to do with my time while we were starting to build this church? Do you know where God told us to go win souls? He didn't tell us to go stand in front of a big church and tell them we're going to be the cool church. No, you know where God told us to go? To Belmont and Clark for three years every Friday and Saturday. I've loved the transgender, the gay, the homosexual. There was a lesbian girl that I was ministering to. We used to argue all the time, but she liked me as a friend. And one day I got a call from her, and she said, I know you're going to be shocked to hear this, but I need you, Pastor. And I said, why? She said, my grandpa's died, and we don't have a pastor to do the funeral. They asked me if I knew one. I said, I know a guy that I've met on the streets of Belmont and Clark. He'll come and do it. Didn't ask for a dollar went and did one of the most extravagant funerals I've ever seen. They were a very wealthy family. They ended up blessing us financially, and we paid bills that month because of a lesbian girl who saw me as a genuine pastor she could trust to do grandpa's funeral. The heat of the day is not always fun. It's not always easy, but it's the part of the day you have to work or the job doesn't get done. I don't want you to feel sorry for me because there's reward for me individually for that. Things that I got to do that you don't get to experience, that's okay. Your life has gone through things that I didn't get to experience. Maybe I'm coming into your life at five in the evening and all that hard work someone else has done on your life. Uh, unfortunately, as it is, because we win a lot of new souls here, I have to do a lot of that work in your life as a pastor. But some of you, this may be the best you've ever been. But I want to now add this in here. How about this? What if in the big picture of 100,000 disciples, which is our goal for this church, 50 campuses here in the city and 500 around the world, 
what if it's really only nine in the morning? It feels like I've been here since all day yesterday, or I've been here for 12 hours. But what if in the big picture right now, it's really only nine in the morning? What if the future that is ahead is greater than the past that's behind? If the church is a little bit over 10 years old, what if it goes on for 100 years? You're coming in at nine. And so what are you going to do when the next group comes in at 12? Are you going to say to them, hey, you don't know how we had to save up money to come out of a storefront to get our own property over here. You don't take off your hat or your hoodie when you come in. You don't appreciate what we've done. I've drove the bus. I've drove the van. I would street witness. Might you be tempted to become the person that you felt maybe people did you as? Hopefully not too much here. But could you become the ungrateful person to see others in the harvest? You see, at this point, I do believe we're somewhere in the morning hours. I don't think this church has even come close to its five in the evening. It's about ready to shut down. I truly believe that some of you could even be a visitor here right now and get to experience things that I have never even seen. Have we seen yet a revival? Have we seen yet the stadiums full? Maybe you're the one that's going to do it. A lot of people have looked at me over the years and have said, oh, Joe, he's such a strong speaker, writes all of those books. He might just want to be a one-man show, and those are people who don't know me. Those of you who know me, you know that I have attached my preaching gift, my writing gift to this church. Why is it I don't go preach conferences when they ask me to go do it? Because God told me, this is your assignment. And believe it or not, I could make more money doing that. Did you know that pastors make money when they travel and speak? Why not? It doesn't hurt anybody. And and I've done it before. Hey, I'll be here Sunday, but then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'll be preaching at those conferences. Pay for the flight, give me a hotel. And what does a pastor make? I'll take off the lid. Anywhere from $2,500 to $10,000 a speaking engagement. How big is the conference? How well do you think I speak? But you know what God told me? He said, Joe... That's where you speak outside of this pulpit on top of a stage of a Chicago for Jesus truck. That's where God told me to plant myself. That's where I'm supposed to be. And if one day you see me preaching those conferences, don't think I have backslidden. I'm just doing at that point what God has said. But I'm telling you, why have I been here in the heat of the day? Because God has called me. Now, if you make this your church, and it's okay if you don't, and you're just visiting, that's fine. But if you make this your church, you have to come and join me in the harvest. Because remember, in the parable, Jesus is the landowner. Jesus is the landowner. And the foremen are probably the angels or the ones that he'll use to bless us. But the bottom line is this. I'm not the landowner. I've been hired just like you. A lot of times you say you have options. You go, oh, man, you know what? I, I, I can sing and play the guitar, and this church down the road will put me in the band right now. We even have former paid musicians in this church that have not yet qualified to be up here, and when they had left the church they were at, they were paid musicians. So you may get tempted and go, man, I can go over here. I can get paid. I can be in the band. I am done with this, you know, the way Pastor Joe discipleship the Bible kind of stuff. I'm done with that. Guess what? 
I could join you there and be your highly paid pastor. You, somehow you, you think you're the only one with options. I'm the one with a Bible college degree, folks. I could meet you there and be your pastor. Do you not understand that? Some of you are like, I hate Chicago winners. I hate living here. I do too. Here's the difference. I have to stay. I could easily put out right now, hello, California, who needs a pastor? Or hey, who wants to move to California? Let's start a church. Don't think God and I haven't had that talk many a time. My parents now retired to Florida, and that is a talk him and I have quite often. And if you see us planting a satellite church there, don't think I've backslidden. It's because God finally said you can. Oh, y'all get quiet now. Y'all get quiet. See, y'all hate now. Y'all hate and acting like you're the only one that can leave and do something else. Like you're the only one. No, you're not. I'm here because I'm called here. As a matter of fact, God will be my witness to this, that when I was trying to go from youth pastoring to senior pastoring again to planting a church, my heart was California. Everything inside of me was, let's go to the West Coast. It's time, honey. I've been, been wanting to go out there. We'll start the thing there. But because... At that time, I had won somebody to the Lord playing video games. God said, no, 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 you're here now. You shepherd now. You don't leave now. That's what God told me. And the church was only a handful of people. And I could have easily have just said, hey, it was something I did between A and B. Uh, you know, I won a few souls. Hey, here's a local church. Go join that church. Sayonara. But God used them as an anchor for my heart. God gave me a heart for those people. And now you kind of people. But now let me ask you a question. How committed are you to this? Somebody says to you, well, I'll pay you double. Let's go over here. Or you know what? Let's not finish the work. Let's go somewhere over here. You, would not, um, you couldn't even imagine how many times dudes, because we grow up in a culture with a lot of fatherless kids, and a lot of dudes come up to me and go, Pastor, man, I just want to tell you, you're my pastor. Pastor, I love you. you like a father to me, Pastor. And I'm like, am I really? Am I really? And they're like, oh, yeah, pastor, I love you, pastor. And then two years later, they roll now, pastor, this church ain't for me, pastor. You've been up in my business too long, pastor. You've messed with me too much, pastor. I can name their names, and many of you would know how they went from you're like a father to be pastor. And then when I acted like one, they left as a bastard child. Bastards, King James, I didn't cuss. I haven't cussed in over 20 years. Not going to start now. Thank you, Jesus. A bastard is one that doesn't have a father. It can either be intentionally or unintentionally. And I know many of you grew up without fathers, and that's what the culture used to call children without fathers, bastards, you know. And how sad to have a father or a father figure and then to live the life of a bastard, to live the life of a fatherless person because you didn't like what a father did. You see, in the church, if we're putting in our work, it's not always going to be fun. Even if it was just an hour, how many know if I took you right now and I said, let's do an hour of farm work, let's go, how many know you're about done after that one hour? Just an hour of farm work can be hard, let alone 12 hours of it. And so the idea that I believe God is teaching this church is that we need to understand it will be hard work. And others have paid the price for us to be here, but that doesn't take away our responsibility now to work because I believe the greatest days are yet ahead. 
And here's what I want to say. Do you see the honor of working in the harvest field? Because it is so easy to come to a church like this and go, well, they don't have this and they don't have that. You know what I like to say to anybody that has an idea of something that we don't have here? We're hiring the position you just wanted. You know what? We need more sports activities for the kids, like a basketball club. We're hiring youth directors for basketball clubs. Here's our first one. You get it? Oh, we, we need more things. We need to go back to Belmont and Clark Pastor. We need to start a cafe over there. We need to reach all of those people. We're hiring those who want to start a cafe at Belmont and Clark. Do you understand? Your desire for something else you're not seeing here is actually God's purpose for you to work. If you looked at the ground and you didn't see turnips there and you want turnips there, what you supposed to do, y'all? Plant some turnips. Work and put in that time. Because you know what? I'm not going to heaven alone. I'm going to plunder hell and populate heaven in Jesus' name. Does anybody else want to put in work? That's what the Bible says. Because here's the deal. It's so easy to just go from one church to the next and go to a place that already has it. Or you could get plugged in, become a pillar in a church that doesn't have that thing and then develop it. So let me brag on what God has done here in Jesus' name. All boasts go to the Lord. Wanted to reach children. Didn't have a children's director. But a young lady named Sue Ellen gave her heart to Jesus here then became our children's director. We didn't go out and hire one. We won one to the Lord in God's grace, trained her up, went to Bible college for three years. And now when other pastors look at her, they're like, how much does it cost to get me one of those? Well, you got to go win them to the Lord, be with them for 10 years, help them get married to a good man, help them become a great man and woman of God, and then you'll have one like that. Can I get an amen to that? And now they have almost 100 every week. They've had more children's workers than they've ever had, and many of you are working in that ministry. Same thing with the youth ministry. God is blessing it. Now they're being raised up with the fifth youth director. Amen. And I love you so much, Joe B. But did you notice, did you notice, Joe B, that all the laborers you have now came from somebody else's work? All your youth leaders came from somebody else's work. Now it's time for you to win new youth leaders to the Lord so that there can be a new generation. Amen? And so the idea is I hope that we don't have to talk about Joe B. like we've had to talk about other youth directors. I'm sorry to announce youth director so-and-so has now left and has done this crazy thing and that crazy thing. How many want to see Joe B. finish his race? Amen? Come on. The worship leader, the worship leader you listen to today will be recording our first album. If you didn't recognize most of the songs at the beginning, that's because we have written them here by God's grace. He was one of the first four youth over 10 years ago. Now he's our worship leader. Somebody might be like, well, I want one of them. What does that cost? Well, you have to take him when he's a backslidden sinner, see him raised to the Lord at 17 years old, help him walk through all of his teenage years, be with him as he learns to play the guitar. I knew Adam before he even played the guitar. Help him through his awkward stage of worship leading when everybody's looking at him going, what are you doing? I don't know where you're at right now, but I'm trying to follow the karaoke screen. You're somewhere over here. And you've got to be there to encourage them. You can do this, son. You can do it. And over 10 years later, now we're recording our first album. You guys going to come to the live recording? Come on, somebody. Amen. I could keep you here all day listing off the testimonies. But do I think it's five in the evening? 
No, I only think it's 9 in the morning. You see, one of the stories that we said after the second service, some of you guys might have missed, but uh, we have Daniel here. Daniel, that's your name, right? Thank you. Sometimes I forget names. That's my fault. And then it's even weirder when I ask if I remembered your name right. I should have just went with it. Daniel and his wife Mary just joined us not too long ago, and now he's qualified because he's done the 201 stuff that you have to do. You don't have to graduate 201, but you have to be qualified in 201 to join the band. And now listen to this. There have probably been about 30 musicians who have come and gone from our, our worship ministry and have never had the privilege of being on the first album. He is now the last one to join the band, and he is going to be on this first album in October or November playing the bass. Do you see how it works? The first will be last, and the last will be first. He has taken the position of four or five people that would have been there. He would have been fourth string if they all would have stayed. But because they didn't, God raised up another. God raised up another. God raised up another. When Judas committed suicide, what did God do? He raised up another. This gospel train will go on with or without you. Choo-choo. Where are you at, man? Get ran over or get in it, right? And here's the deal. God forbid, if I were to die today, would this all stop? If I would have gotten a car accident, would this have stopped today? Would you have came before the people and said, uh, excuse me, we're shutting down the church because our pastor died, and now this is over, so everybody go somewhere else? No, you wouldn't have done that. Here's the deal. What are you going to do now? It's time to put in work. It's time to accept your calling it's time for you and I to get our eyes off of what somebody else is, is getting. Here's the negotiation between you and Jesus. Your death for his life. Do you want to make that trade? Do you want to make that trade? Yes or no? Your death for his life. Your life, you deny yourself for his life. Do you want to make that trade? Okay, now let's go. Because in the kingdom of God, we're going to put in work. We're going to be world changers and history makers and roof breakers. This is time now to get into the heat of the day of this next generation and the next thing that we have to do. And this is not going to be a one-man show. That's why I don't preach during the middle of the week and other things. We started off with just two adult life groups. Now starting in the next quarter, we're going to have nine adult life groups, one of them in Spanish, one of them in the suburbs. Are you listening to me? The life groups are exploding. And here's one of the things about the youth life groups is that we were looking at them kind of getting stagnant. Rachel, would you come? please, and, and the band, we were watching the youth get stagnant in their three life groups. And it was good that they had about a dozen, but we were trying to figure out what's going on. So we started praying and thinking about it. And then we realized if you look at the adult life groups, they meet in homes. The youth life groups all had to meet at the church. Why? Because we've won young people to the Lord and their parents don't come. Most of all these young people right here, parents don't come to the church. So there's no homes. They don't own a home. They, they live in a home of their parents. So we started to pray about what to do, and we said, let's believe God that homes will open up for the youth to meet in, because how many know it's different for a teenager to hang out in somebody's home than it is to go back to church? You learn a lot in people's homes, don't you? You feel the love differently in somebody's home. When I was a sinner, I learned how to get drunk in my friend's house. His parents gave us the first alcohol, cursing and all of that. Many of you thought that was normal because you grew up in a home that cursed. Now we have homes that have opened up for our young people. So starting next quarter for the life groups, they're going to be meeting in homes because you guys have done that. Let's give it up for Jesus. Amen. When you meet in a home, you give people the opportunity to see what it's like. 
And so those of you who have opened up your home, I pray that there's no getting drunk in your home. I pray your, ho- your house is clean, you know. I pray that you don't cuss in your home so that you can show young people what it's like to have a happy home. When we look at the church, what's missing is you. What's missing is what you're supposed to do. What, what, what needs to be done now is in your hands. So you could sit back and say to yourself, you know what, I'm just going to do whatever someone else has done. You could do that, but you won't receive a reward for working. That's not working. Or you could say, you know what, I want to come into the harvest field and I want to work. What did the person do from five to six? Even if they were just there an hour, what did they do? Something important. Who knows? It might have been cleaning the tractor, doing something like that, putting away the seed if it was at the end of the day. What did the person do from 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock? Whatever it was, it was important. And wherever you are right now in the pace of this church and the lifestyle of this church, it's time for you to get your position and to start owning it. Because I don't care where you are at 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock. I have people here like Salvador who have been here from the very first day. And some of you are visitors today. It does not matter. I don't play favorites. I'm not a pastor that's looking for you to be my best buddy. What I want to see is, do you want to work now? Because the right attitude, what should have been the right attitude for those guys as they saw the 5 o'clock people get paid? The same as much as they were going to get paid. You know what that attitude should have been like? Man, my boss is generous. My boss is generous. What will our attitude be like as we move to a new facility and visitors come just because now we're at a facility that has more parking, has more space, and they're literally there because they like that building better. And they knew about us here, but they never wanted to come because it was small and all this. Are you going to treat them bad or are you just going to be like, hey, I'm glad you're here. Hey, I'm sorry you didn't like our parking before. I've literally had people tell me, I don't like the parking there. I'm not going there. I'm like, God has kept you out of this place then. Amen. Let's keep no parking where we go next. Because if that's how easily you are distraught is I don't have enough parking for you, you're not ready to face judgment and persecution and all kinds of crazy stuff we're about ready to have on this planet, you know, half kid there. But if we go to that next church and they show up and they go, man, it's so cool. This is the bigger thing now. It's got 300 seats or whatever. Hey, just love on them. Your life group starts to explode. You got 20, 30 people there, and they sit in your favorite couch. Come on, y'all know. Got a little laugh over there. Come on, y'all know you got your favorite couch, my favorite stool. Or they take all the coffee, and now the life group's not the same because you used to get all the coffee you wanted, but now, you know, it runs out or something. I've seen people fight over stuff like that. No, instead of you getting upset, you go, thank thank God they're here. No, take my seat. Take my seat. Go ahead, finish the coffee. I'll make more. I'll make more now. Because I didn't come here to be served. I came to serve. Didn't Jesus say that in another one of our parables that we learned? And it's okay if I'm last now. Because I once was first. And God's teaching me now. It's my turn. Because now, guess what in closing? Joe did all of this and all of that and all that's so amazing. But who was serving God in Chicago in 1980? Who was serving God in 1970? See, I got some older folks here. I'm not the first, am I? And so then in that sense, I came on the shoulders of what they already prepared. These great pastors who preached in this city before I ever even knew what Chicago was. And so when we look at it, it goes back to that big picture. Really, Jesus was the first. And we're all just following his lead. 
And his father is a generous father and will bless us as we go out in that harvest field and work. Amen? Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. Send us into the harvest, Lord.